Hi all and welcome to Circle Talk. This is a podcast for seekers, initiates and the curious by four Alexandrian witches with endless opinions. We are your hosts. Hi everybody, I'm Peter, a high priest and coven leader from South Wales. Hi, I'm James, a high priest and coven leader from just outside New Orleans, Louisiana. I'm G. I am a high priestess and coven leader from the Boston area of Massachusetts in the U.S., And I'm Josie, I'm a High Priestess and Coven Leader from Australia, just outside of Melbourne. So this is a podcast where we talk about Alexandrian witchcraft and explore differing opinions on how the Alexandrian tradition is practiced in various covens and around the globe. We would like to remind our listeners that while we're all initiates of the Alexandrian tradition, we only speak for ourselves and not for the tradition as a whole, which is almost impossible to do. Um, If it's your first episode, hello, welcome. You might want to take a minute to pause this and go back to listen to some of our introductory stuff. Episode zero is our introductions episode and episode one is definitions. Or you could check them out after you enjoyed this one. We would like to acknowledge that there are others who've published on this topic as well and put out some great podcasts about it too. So covens can be kind of contentious and the word coven can be a contentious word. There's there's actually a lot of talk out there against joining covens. So we're here to sort of unpack that for you and look into it a little bit. So with all that said, high five, get on the broom and let's go, witches. So in British traditional Wicca, coven means a very specific thing uh, and often British traditional Wiccan covens run slightly differently or are sometimes taken uh, in a different way to more eclectic covens. So I think it's really important right off the bat that we define that. So a coven is usually made up of initiates led by a high priestess, high priest or priestess, or more than one of the above. Sometimes it will have an outer court of non-initiate, sometimes it will not. And they practice British traditional wicca together. British traditional wicca, after all, being a coven-based practice. Yes. I think in the context of this episode, we should say, like, we'll probably have to say it more and again, but when we're talking about covens, we can only talk about BTW covens. And I do think that there are people out there who have covens, or I know that there are people out there who are practicing different traditions, who are practicing different kinds of witchcraft, who have perfectly functioning covens full of people who are super knowledgeable about what they're doing. I do have some question marks around, you know, if you've got five people who are brand new to the witch, to witchcraft, brand new to the craft, and they go and start a group together, and call themselves a coven. I mean, they can, if they want to, that's fine. To me, a coven is effective and is effective because either somebody, you have at least one person who knows what's up, or you have a group of people who knows what's up. I think forming a study group, forming a practice group, um, forming a working group are all perfectly valid choices as well. Of course, I do think that coven denotes some kind of experience, but that's because I'm coming from the perspective of a group of initiates. So before I started practicing with a lot of the initiates that I'm in a coven with at the moment, we were practicing and we called ourselves a seed group because at the time only the high priest was an initiate and she was a first degree initiate. Um, So she couldn't really lead from a BTW perspective. She couldn't lead a coven on her own. So we called ourselves a seed coven until, until we had enough experience and enough initiates to then actually be well to then adopt the the name coven i don't disagree with what any of you guys are saying i think for me a coven is 
a group of witches that are practicing together. It just so happens that my definition of coven includes the fact that those witches are initiates of British traditional Wicca and not necessarily any other form of any other form of Wicca or any other form of witchcraft. As, as I hear y'all talking, there's a lot of little semantics and wording um, and things I've been taught over the years that are coming to mind. So I guess the short answer is a coven's kind of a collection of initiates, witches, it's the priesthood. It's where we collectively gather to do the work of the gods. But then this can be broken in different ways. Like there's a maiden coven, which is different from a coven, which is different from a mother coven, which is different from a working partnership. And those all are that as well. It's just how you slice the pie. The maiden coven is what you get when you have a coven under the auspices of a third degree, but the third degree is not co-located with them. So they're not autonomous yet. So it may be a coven that's run by a second degree who's working towards autonomy under the guidance of a, a third degree. Mother coven's not necessarily your coven, it's the covens you descend down from. And work partnership is maybe you have two thirds who've just hived, but they don't have initiates yet. They're not a coven, there's, there's not three. So playing semantics. And I would say the coven's different than the place that the, the coven's dead, where the coven normally gathers, which is different from the temple, which is both the seen and unseen places you do the work. So that's mm-hmm. just kind of me mentally rushing through all the things that we were just throwing around and went, oh, how can I quickly dissect this into a group of terms? Yay, yeah, definitions. I so I counted at least three other episodes just from <laughs> what James has just said. <laughs> Coming soon. I was sitting here thinking we should just do an episode where James just sits there and rattles off terms. We call it the <laughs> glossary episode. Good idea. We'll redo definitions. Mm-mm. We don't have that amount of time. I, I mean, I got my degree in We're in four in different religion. time zones. Surely we can make the time. <laughs> I got my, my degree in religious studies because I nerd out on this stuff. So I'm sorry. That's why we're happy to have you. So why covens? Why not? Why, why not, not covens? I out straight there. So let's face devil's advocate on that. Why not covens? What reasons on earth can someone come up with on why they wouldn't want to join a coven? And so the first thing that comes to my mind is something I've heard or seen said is that covens want to control or tell someone what that individual is supposed to believe. Well, the, the traditionalist in me immediately wants to backlash and be like, oh, no, that's not what we do at all. Because I don't think we do. I don't think that's what we're about. I, I, I think a coven is just about having an agreed upon way of doing things when a group of people who are very different in beliefs and practices can get together and not have to reinvent the wheel so they can work together. Yeah, I mean, I think that the traditional, like British traditional witchcraft response to that has to be the orthopraxy versus orthodoxy thing that we come back to, right? That we are supposed to be a group of people who are orthopraxic. We share a practice and a way of doing things. We are not orthodoxic. I have circled with and been in covens with people who are atheists, who are agnostics. Uh, Zero people have tried to convert them to any sort of form of belief. I mean, that having been said, covens do tend to line up in certain kinds of beliefs. Like people do tend to end up in covens whose political beliefs align with theirs. People tend to end up in covens who have similar perspectives on divinity or who have similar perspectives on letting everybody have whatever perspective they want, right? Like people end up where they end up, but it's not dogmatic about belief. 
And, and I agree with you. It is often said that a seeker shouldn't be discouraged if a coven says, hey, you're not right for us. It doesn't mean you're not right for a coven or witchcraft. You're just not for this particular one. For either your individual group dynamics or there's something. And those conversations would be had with the priesthood on why. And oftentimes, if there are other covens in there, you might get referred out. But it happens because every coven's different. It kind of comes back to that whole thing when seekers ask, well, should I choose Alexandrian or Gardnerian Wicca? And it's like, you choose the people. Yes. Find the people that fit with you. And the tradition will follow. 100%. Traditions, the traditions byproduct. I think the, you know, the caveat to this is like, we can only speak for what Alexandrian and Gardnerian covens should be like. We can't speak for various like neo-Wiccan, eclectic, or other kinds of covens that are out there. They may have expectations around people's beliefs, but that'll, we'll talk more later about red flags. And there's been a lot of conversations and a lot of work done on making sure that seekers are aware of red flags. And that would be one of them. If, a, if you find a coven that's trying to get you to believe a certain way, and it's not what's already like in your belief system, then, you know, by all means, peace out. Vote with your feet and walk somewhere else. It links back to what we were saying in our last episode. And if you haven't already given our last episode a, a listen, then maybe pause here and go back. But it should be hard to get into and easy to get out of. Like James is saying, you decide with your feet. You know, if you don't like what's going on in the coven, then I know within the Alexandrian and Ghanaian traditions, you can just hold your hands up and say, not for me, guys, thank you very much for the journey so far. And um, I'm just going to be taking my leave now. Another thing that I frequently hear people say is that a coven is going to dictate your personal practice, what, what you can do uh, in your personal witchcraft or worship practice. And that's some bullshit. I think a coven can certainly influence your hmm. personal practice. And I say influence because as you start learning more and become experienced with a particular set of practices, or you're exposed to all these other people who have their wide variety of ways of doing things, you're going to reevaluate maybe some of the things you do in your personal life. And that that's fun as can be in my personal opinion, but it's, it's not dictation. It's, oh, I might want to start doing that at my personal devotions. But the technology of it, not necessarily the, the specific practice in the way it was done. That's as it should be. I mean, just since I've started talking to you all, I've made shifts in some of my personal practice and coven practice based on our conversations. When you come across good ideas, you should be willing to pick them up. I think, you know, we'll talk about who covens are not for, but if you're the kind of person who doesn't want to hear anybody else's ideas, a coven is not for you. I think I say this nearly every episode so far, but these conversations are really not for our listeners. They're really for me because I just want to echo what G says. I learned so much, you know, just by speaking to you guys and just, just to get it back on track. I do apologize. I'm rubbish at holding lots and lots of, lots of systems in my head at one time. So I, I agree with what James is saying that actually a lot of what we practice in Kevin is my own personal practice as well, just because I don't want to relearn stuff as well. Like I say, it's difficult for me to remember everything. And um, I don't want to be there. Like, I would love to be one of these witches that can practice 
off the cuff without any notes. Um, but if it's a Sabbath that we're, we're practicing or, or celebrating and it's new, completely new, normally there's some sort of bit of paper involved. And I'm like, oh, I'm just going to relearn everything. But the, there's definitely some truth in that. The The way we do some of the particulars in Coven echo into my personal practice, but not everything, because some of the uh, religious relationships of various entities, spirits, gods that I hold aren't held within the Coven. And so there may be some technology similarities, but the specifics and what I'm doing are definitely going to be different. This is so interesting because... And I, I do think eventually we'll have to do an episode on personal practice specifically because it comes up all the time, which should be further evidence that covens don't dictate your personal practice because we are all people who are busy leading covens and yet also talk frequently about our personal practice, which still remains independent. My personal practice developed alongside my coven. And when I was dealing with some dark night of the soul stuff and really struggling with my personal practice, I had to go to somebody completely outside my tradition to sort of relearn how to develop a personal practice. And it was like, it was revelatory, right? So like, as you were saying, Peter, about having like the same system, I was like, oh, I don't have to have the same system. I can do things that are like shorter, simpler. My personal practice doesn't have to be high church. And it never had to be. Nobody ever said it did. It's just that after, you know, 12 years of developing my personal practice alongside Coven, it sort of fell into that. And it was really nice to learn that. So it can go either way. I would be interested to to speculate how many people have a similar experience because I, I've reinvented the will, so to speak, in my personal practice more than once. And at times it runs extremely parallel to what one would do traditionally in a coven and at other times you completely start over there's a new dawn because the old way of how i was doing things in my personal life has, has set very much a dark night of the soul kind of theme over and over and over i have personal kind of speculations over that that i like to to tie to the will of the year but i'm, I'm interested how many people experience that regularly We'll have to do a, a separate episode on all of those different pieces and how they tie into our traditions. I think the only other thing that I usually hear people say against covens is they're full of power hungry, like manipulative people. And I don't have much of a counterpoint to that, except like literally everywhere, every group or organization I've ever been a part of has its share of power hungry, manipulative people, every place of work, every classroom I've ever taught in teenagers are power hungry, manipulative people like by nature. I don't mean that, but I kind of do, you know, any church group, any, any family. So it's, uh, unless you're going to not interact with other human beings at all, which is, I suppose, a viable strategy. I don't think it's fair to say that the issue here is covens. I think the issue is humans. And so you just have to find, as we've been saying, like a coven full of the right people. And there are many, many covens that do not have power hungry, manipulative people running them that are safe spaces for people to learn and grow. That's exactly right. And one thing that we say to people is it would be the same if we were a dog breeding club or a circus school or a Morris dancing troupe or anything, there would be power hungry, manipulative people. But the costumes as a Morris dancing group would be so much better. Can we work skyclad, but I want bells around my ankles? Yes. I'm instituting that. It's a new one. Do it. 
they have a fair argument. You know, but that's why we have vouching is it's part of the seeking process is getting to know the coven and whether or not you trust them and that they're not the power hungry, egotistical group of abusers that we all fear. And if you accidentally find yourself in that situation or if the group you're in dynamic changes, there's no reason you can't walk away. Very true. So we've talked a lot about why not covens. Let's talk about why you should join a coven. So for me, one of the whole reasons that I joined a coven was so that I could, I could get that knowledge from somebody else. I could, I could be taught a tradition um, and I knew that it, it had some sort of connection to an upline which is stuff that's passed down, information that's passed down. So for me, it was all about that structured learning. I'm all about the structured learning. You know, it's, it's, it's the way I roll. It's how I like to work. It means that if I'm presented with some material, it can be discussed and I'm not just sat there on my own with a book trying to make sense of something. And in the end, I just can't make head nor tail of it. So for me, it was really one of the main points of joining the coven was, was that structured learning. And, and knowing that what I was getting was good material insofar that it's effective in, in, in the way that it's worked and it's practiced. For me, it's that feeling of, I guess, fellowship, but that's not a strong enough word. But when covens are done right, and I've said this before, but when covens are done right, there's no better feeling in the world of closeness and, and trust and friendship and all of those things. It's kind of like that, like practical, that bit of impractical magic when they get all the ladies to come with their brooms and they have circle and it's like that magical and powerful. And like, I, I'm not going to claim that we've ever managed to um, like perform an exorcism with tequila and a group of people with brooms, but it, it is that like when you get the right group of people and you uh, find yourself belonging to the right group of people, your magic can be like that. Your ritual can be like that. And it's not every time, of course, every time you have sex, it's not the best sex, but if, if it's often enough, then you stay with that person, right? If it's often enough, then you stay with that coven. I, when I was thinking about this episode, that was the scene from Practical Magic that I thought of as well and was going to mention. So that makes me really happy. And I always get emotional at that scene because I'm disgusting. No, you're not disgusting because like, that's what we're, that's what we're here for. Like when I'm find myself and that I got that this Samhain. So this Samhain was like the most recent time, like we were finally able to practice in a group. We had five different covens in my family represented in this massive Samhain ritual. Cases are very low where I am. People practice safely. Everybody's vaccinated, etc. It was the harmonizing. Like it felt like not only were we physically there, but people who were past um, our coven ancestors were with us. It was all the hair standing on end magical. And yeah, that is for me is a big part of it. Like I'm there because it works and because it speaks to my soul in a different way than what I can get on my own. I remember being a seeker of BTW. And the first time I sat down with one of the initiates of the coven who they did a little meet and greet before you were allowed to start coming to our court functions. And they asked me why I was interested in seeking or pursuing the coven. And 
I thought about it. And at the time I said, because it's very hard to be a priest alone. And as, as we sit here and talk about all the different reasons, although I've brainstormed a massive personal list on why covens, the one that comes to mind the most is it is very hard to be a priest alone. And if I think about all the different covens I've ever been a member of and why I ended up in that coven, it's because anytime I've ended up somewhere, I went looking for my family, my chosen family, and I eventually found them. So that's, that's kind of my personal checklist. But obviously, there, there are many reasons why an individual may pursue a coven. It gives us a sense of belonging as well. Like when you end up in a coven, you normally fall into the same groove as a lot of, of the other members as well. So you might hold the same political beliefs or near, near enough the same. You might hold the same religious beliefs as well. You might all end up realizing that you all work in healthcare or education or work with people. And you just, you kind of find that groove. You kind of find where you belong. I just want to flip back as well to Practical Magic. I love that film. I watch that film at least like once every every two months. And and I think that epitomizes the the that scene, that epitomizes the belonging. Like I love it when I get together with my coven because it is it is family. You are seeing family. You're practicing witchcraft. You're practicing Wicca with your family. And that that's that sense of belonging is like. Oh, I love it. It's, it's, again, one of the myriad of reasons that I got into coven work. I, th- I think you're all going to disown me because I've only seen the movie once and I don't remember that scene and I have no clue what any of you are talking about or the context well, relating to it. Now you Get know what out. you're doing tonight with your family. Yeah, otherwise you're out of the podcast. <laughs> so next episode, there's going to be three hosts. <laughs> One less host. Circle talk, three witches. But I thought we didn't believe in ritualment. <laughs> this is different. It's just a shunning. Oh, oh, okay. So no vouch. Got it. <laughs> yeah. No, but it is excellent. You absolutely should. Um, I'll check it out. I, I want to take a moment because I also fell into my coven because they're my family and they're absolutely where I belong. And like my line is where I belong. And I feel very lucky that I still get to practice with like so many different covens in the line. However, there are covens who feel that the traditional way is to practice such that like you don't have those kinds of intimate relationships outside of coven. So within, when you're with coven, when you're doing circle, like, yes, there's an intimacy and a closeness, but you don't socialize outside of the coven. Um, yeah, the no socialization rule. And there are people who do this to different levels. Sometimes they just do it like while you're in outer court. So when you're in outer court, you're just coming, you're not socializing with other members of the coven, but some people continue it even with their initiates. You come, you do the work of the coven and you don't really socialize outside of it because that's not what you're there for. You're not there to be friends. You're not there to be family. You are there to do the work, capital W work of the coven. And that's fine. Like that's a, they don't need my permission to say this, but obviously it's a valid way of doing things. It's, it is a thing that some covens choose. So if you are the kind of person who 
feels anxious about the idea that if you joined a coven, like you would have to insert yourself uh, into that social circle. No, you don't. There are covens out there who don't practice that way. It seems that all four of us, though, have found ourselves, obviously being social people, have found ourselves in covens and lines where it's the the habit and that the the closeness tends to develop into a social circle that's supportive, even outside of coven. My coven members, well, from, from my mother coven, are my closest friends. I've lived with them at various points. When I needed to be taken in, some of them took me in. I've, you know, been there when they had their children. To me, like, that's important. That's what I want from a religious community, but not everybody does. There's definitely a support network there. So although as a high priest, I'm not anyone's counselor or psychologist or any of those things, it doesn't mean that I'm not there as someone who can provide my perspective or experience or just support and listen and silence. All that exists. So support network is a huge part of the reason why someone may join a coven. And it reminds me of the idea of taking refuge in your community. Um, in this case, the, the, the coven, taking refuge in the coven. And so it's, you're taking refuge from the existential realities and dread of existence. It's through shared experience and fellowship that you realize that you're not alone in the world, that we, we are all interconnected. And through the work of the coven, the other fears that we individually may have, fear of death, uh, separation, etc., they they lessen. And it's through the refuge that you take in the coven and the practice of the coven. And so your discussion of the support network really reminds me of that working perspective that covens fulfill. I think it's important as well just to point out, yes, covens are support networks, but they also have their limitations. Like, I'm not a psychiatrist. I can sit down with a cup of tea or a glass of wine or a shot of vodka or anything in between and everything else. And I can listen, you know, I can offer advice, but, but my advice is not going to be as good as advice that the psychiatrist might be able to give you. If, if you're in some sort of mental crisis, you know, if you're in some sort of mental crisis, then yes, you, you can speak to your coven leaders and, and your, and your fellow initiates, but at the same time, there are limitations on the support that, that a coven can give. And it's not, a coven isn't a fix-all, right? Yeah, it's definitely not. And I think that's important in the context of what I wanted to say about it being a, coven's being a refuge from. Like there, people, for people who have lived a marginalized life for some reason, maybe their family their, their like birth family disowned them for whatever reason. Maybe their sexuality has made them feel unaccepted and unwelcome in some places or their gender identity or because they have a different belief system um, in different in certain countries or in certain parts of certain countries. It may not be safe to be who you are inside. Covens, I think, can be a refuge for those because there are a goodly number of covens, I, I want to say, and I hope most British traditional Wiccan covens 
are safe spaces for people who are of alternate sexualities, right? People who are non-cishet people. We should like covens should be safe spaces for those individuals. Um, we've talked before about witchcraft as the craft of the marginalized. And so um, although I cannot swear up and down that that's true of all covens, I think a lot of people are able to find refuge and safe spaces in covens to be who they are truly when they find their right family, their right coven. Witchcraft is uh, extremely empowering to those who may be marginalized on the the fringes of society, deviants, the poor and underprivileged, whatever it may be, witchcraft gives them a practice to empower themselves to fight back. And that's true across folk magic practices across the world. And it proves itself true in BTW as well. I see it and I know others see it. It may not always be the case, but in general, BTW is a practice that can empower the marginalized. Your coven should be a place where you don't need to turn down the gas on yourself or any part of yourself. And that is so valuable. And sometimes you don't realise you don't have a space like that until you find that you do. You don't have to trim off any part of your personality to fit or to be respectable. Yeah, a hundred. I think I love that analogy. I think that's great. So some of the other things, like I know Peter, like you said earlier about wanting to learn, like from people who had knowledge, right? That was something that you've that you said. Um, yeah, yeah. And I feel I felt similarly. Like I really wanted a teacher. I knew I could read books, but like I am an experiential learner, and I view religion as something that you learn from other people, not a relationship with deity. That is a thing between you and deity, but religion, the practice of a religion I view as I felt was something I wanted to learn from other people. So finding something that had training and had people who were knowledgeable, um, people who I trusted and respected to learn from was, was huge for me. And because I am a high church kind of a person. I like bells and smells. It was important for me to like find a work in a coven because I don't think you get quite the same kind of bells and smells, big experience doing individual work. And two, find a coven in a tradition that practices in that sort of like liturgical orthopraxic way. I think I, I understood quite early on that I could go to Otakas. I don't know whether you guys had Otakas. Where, where you lot are but I remember I could go to Articus. Articus was taken over by Waterstones. You must all know Waterstones. I haven't I can't even tell you what word you're saying right now. I, 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 <laughs> no, no idea. Did, are we busting out Welsh? What's going on? <laughs> no, no, no. Articus. I can't even know I don't even know how to spell it. Anyway, <laughs> doesn't matter. I remember going to Articus, this um this book this this bookstore and I knew I could pick up these books on witchcraft and I knew I could pick up these books that said that they would teach you Wicca I'm thinking of the witch's bible like books like that but I also knew that I couldn't pick up a book and learn 
BTW, British Traditional Wicca, I couldn't because I knew that it was an initiatory system. So I knew that I could maybe get a flavour or a taste of what was practised in BTW Covent. But in order to experience that, I needed to get initiated into a British Traditional Wicca Coven. So a lot of my thinking uh, in terms of looking at the craft is often done in triune or trinity thinking and as a result of my work in, in druidry so please forgive me that a lot of that in my personal ideas especially things i've been trained in uh, bleeds over but training wise i have been taught that the craft of the wicca is coven based that is a training thing i've been taught so it's coven based but when I yeah. start thinking about it and breaking that down personally, it becomes that the coven is the vehicle through which we experience, because the craft is experiential, the craft. It's, it's the primary vessel that gets us from point A to point B, because it only happens in the group. It is the place where the roots of the tradition take hold and it becomes and remains the living tree of the tradition it, it remains a, a live thing only because we have covens we're not resurrecting a practice that doesn't have unbroken lineage because covens have passed it on and it continues to be practiced continuous and so the, it's the coven that's the foundation for our practice. And so as I try to break it apart and look at it, it becomes those kind of three. The vehicle for experiencing the craft, the roots of the tradition, and the foundation of the practice. And that's just a personal way of looking at the craft teaching that the craft is coven-based. Yeah, you're not going to learn much craft or much of btw if you're not in a coven and, and i know that's an unpopular opinion <laughs> or can be an unpopular opinion but um i've been told that you can learn about the craft right outside of a coven but you can't learn the craft the craft outside of a coven and by the craft we mean our craft right because so people can and yes. do, like i want to acknowledge yes. and be open and people can and do learn witchcraft obviously in other witchcraft systems we're as, 100%. as usual, when we say the craft, we mean our craft, craft, our capital craft. C, witchcraft. You know, yes. of course, there are other valid paths, but you can't learn what we do unless you are, unless you're in it, unless you're experiencing it and doing it. And, you know, that's specifically for seekers. So I think there are two kinds of people who end up in, in BTW covens, right? Some people are specifically seeking British traditional witchcraft or Wicca because they have a, a vested interest through reading or through word of mouth or whatever in learning that specific tradition. Other people are looking for something, are looking for coven work or looking to learn from a group or looking for some of these other things we've mentioned and end up in a British traditional witchcraft coven. And that's how they end up in, in the trad, in the tradition. Yes. Fair, fair point. And everyone forgive me, but for the context of our discussion, Alexandrian witchcraft. So there are, there are some more practical reasons, I think, that exist for why one may want to join a coven. In Alexandrian craft, at least, it's common to talk about 
the importance of power. And well, in that idea, power flows easier in a deep groove. And every time you do a practice, the groove gets a little deeper, gets a little wider, it's a little easier for the power to flow. And it builds momentum with the power of the group and all of those whom have done the same practice before through the generations of the Wicca behind it. And that's a very practical, oh, I'm not just doing a, a little spell. I'm doing a spell that's got oomph now. I'm throwing a hand grenade and I'm getting an effect. Yeah, you've you've stepped into the into the current, into the stream. That's the whole thing about a tradition, isn't it? Is that it's done over a period of time by multiple people. I think you're absolutely right. I think that's why carbon-based craft is so important and it kind of leads into the whole idea of egregore and shared experience and all of that. It's building up that group power. Define egregore. Ah. <laughs> Egregore is a word that comes to us, I believe, from like Western mystery traditions uh, and it, it refers to the collective built-up energy of a place or of people. Um, so it's residual and shared magical atmosphere and it can be of a working space and of the people within it. It's kind of the energy of both working together. And within the tradition, I feel like I've... Um heard it sort of like nested right there's an egregore of your coven or perhaps of like your temple space an egregore of your coven an egregore of the of your line an egregore of the alexandrian tradition um people who practice both as i'm sure james can attest have said like the egregore of um the alexandrian witchcraft is different from in certain ways feels different from gardnerian witchcraft right but at, at a certain place we're also linked there too it almost becomes yeah. like a living entity that you you feed into or can draw from and you can interact with in that way. Um, it's, it's really hard to explain having not, if you're someone who has not experienced it, but it almost takes on a life of its own because it transcends the individual. There's the aggregate of, of the Wicca. You know, we are all initiates of the Wicca. And even though there's all these separate ones of, your temple, your coven, your personal practice, it all feeds into that that one battery of, of the wicker. You know, when you tap into initiation, you've got everybody behind you who's come from your tradition. And ultimately, you know, we all come from the New Forest coven area, right? So I was in the car, I don't know, two days ago, driving on my commute. And I was thinking about this discussion podcast. And it, it got me to thinking about spiritual authority. And that's not something we th talk about uh, a lot amongst the Wicca. The spiritual authority invested in me as a high priest. Because we, we generally don't like the, the talk of that. But in closed traditions, there's a little bit of it that exists. And it doesn't extend beyond the boundaries of the coven. And I don't mean spiritual authority over my coven mates. It's an understanding and interaction with the unseen host. 
And so by what I mean by that is around a particular coven who has a traditional way of working, you have a collection of gods, goddesses, spirits, beings, entities, ancestors, what have you, gathered around those workings and whom the tradition has developed relationships with. And as an initiate of the Wicca, when you are in, initiated, you become known to this group. And because you become known to them, you get different reactions from them than someone who doesn't. And I'm not saying that the a non-initiate can't develop these relationships. What I mean is it's like any other spirit. When you begin working with a spirit, it's like working with a person. With the initiation behind you, you show up in that relationship as if you already have a vouch from the tradition because precedence has been set with those entities and spirits. They already understand how Alexandrians work with them and the relationships they're with. And so when we come knocking, we don't have to develop an understanding. Whereas if you go knock on a spirit's door who's not a member of our unseen host, they're going to be like, well, who are you? Why should I work with you? Why? What's in it for me? You have to develop that relationship. And a lot of that's already done for you when you become known to our collection of spirits. Speaking of influences from Western mystery traditions, there it is in a nutshell, like a contacted coven or like a contacted order. That is 100% not what I thought you were going to talk about when you put spirit vouching on the list, but I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. hundred, Obviously, you're right. But like 100%, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of it in that way before, but that is, that is how that works. And I like using yeah. that term for it, spirit vouching. What did you think I was going to talk about? I think I thought you were going to talk about the, sort of like the way that somebody fits like the people who belong with us, um, the way that people fit and the way that sometimes people speak about knowing or feel feeling or knowing like somebody's an initiate capital I through yes, interacting the or the return home. Yes. How often yes. have we heard initiates say it was like a homecoming? It was like coming home. That's sort of what I thought you were going to talk about. And that is an excellent reason for joining a coven is, is if you get that feeling that you're coming home and, and sometimes you don't. Right. And that's totally, that's absolutely fine. You know, and I think it depends largely on one's personal beliefs and reincarnation, but that's what I thought. But, but I love what you talked about because I think nobody talks about that. So thank you. I think it's also a good lead into the next thing that I want to talk about. You talked about somebody feeling like they're right or like a good fit. You guys are all covered leaders. What do you, what are you looking for in prospective initiates? Who is right for a coven? I'm looking for somebody who's just going to fit in, fit in with the group, not somebody who's necessarily always going to be a yes man or a yes woman or a yes person. Somebody who can push the group forward as well. You know, we we sometimes ask, you know, well, what, what can you offer the coven? You know, we know what we can offer you and we're going to tell you what we can offer you. But what can you offer the coven as well? 
And I remember, I remember one time somebody said, oh, I make good tea. So now he makes the tea when we have a coven break, when we, when, you know, we're just chilling after ritual or jeering up to get ready for before ritual. He makes the tea. Sometimes it's as simple as that. You hear that, Seekers? Be careful when you say <laughs> what it is that you're good at. You may get stuck doing it. You're the tea boy forever. <laughs> I, I think that that's a little bit of what I'm looking for is yes, you, you need good chemistry. You need to mesh well. There needs to be no deal, deal breakers in uh, our social understanding of how the world works. Um, for example, if you have political views where you think I shouldn't exist, that's not going to work out. But the core of that is I want someone who is going to contribute whatever it is to the group. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you show up saying, I have something to contribute. You're just willing to do the work and attempt to contribute. It may be as simple as, simple as, oh, we're done with the work and now we all need to clean up. And you didn't run out the door to go home quick. You helped the rest of the coven sweep up the salt and put things away etc. Yeah, 100%. I mean, somebody who knows how to function within a group, right? Somebody who knows how to contribute, somebody who knows how to be a team player. Those are important things to me as well. I think there's a large part that is amorphous for me. I've made the comparison to online dating before, and I'm going to make it again, because it's like, sometimes you go out and you're like, that's a perfectly nice person. It seems, but I don't have a good feeling and I do not want that person in my house. And sometimes like I, I'll meet, you know, we meet seekers and we're like, mm, I don't know why, but I just don't necessarily feel comfortable having this person come into my home. Cause of course we meet in our homes by, by and large for the most part. So sometimes there's like an amorphous piece there too. I also think based on my recent experiences, a sense of direction or eagerness. I don't, I don't need you to be like an eager beaver or anything like that. Um, and I'm not looking for people to like, feel like they have to demonstrate, like, I really, really want this. I just mean, I've had a number of people who've contacted me and been like, well, I'm sort of thinking about, no, like, could we just meet for coffee before? Like, I have to fill out your questionnaire or like, um, I, you know, I, I just like, I'm thinking, it's a lot of work for me also to interview these people, to email back and forth with them, to try and answer their questions, to sort of figure out where they're going. And in contrast, you know, sometimes I get people who are like, I have decided I want to join a coven. This is what I'm looking for. This is why, like, I know, you know, I have a sense of what I want, even if I can't, even if I can't put it into words, or even if I'm not sure, like what, which tradition I want or whatever, just like having a sense of purpose. I think if you're still sort of undecided about whether or not you want to work in a coven, for me, that's a little bit of a struggle. I'm not in a position right now to like encourage somebody to come work in a coven if they're not sure that they want to. Like if you're not sure, then don't. When you're sure, then come find us. And we're like very excited to meet with you. But I, I need a sense that people know what they want and are, are interested in putting in the work to get it. Yeah, very similar here. One of the things that I sort of ask people to do straight away is, is to be articulate. I'm not a mind reader. Yeah, nice way <laughs> of putting that, yeah. You need to be able to articulate 
what it is you're looking for. You need to be able to articulate if something is wrong and all of these things. Be articulate, be reliable as well. Do what you say you're going to do. Um, that's probably two, my two biggest ones. And that really comes down to you got to build trust in the process and being willing to participate in the process because it is a process. It's we have to come to know and trust you. You have to become part of our chosen family. But likewise, it goes the other direction. And so we're going to take the time and effort to be truthful and honest and communicate. We need the same in return. I think that goes, you know, I said earlier, like, who is a coven not good for? Like, if you're not interested in learning a new way of doing things, then joining a BTW coven is not for you. If you're not interested in listening to other people's experiences and accepting those as being valid, then I don't think joining a coven is for you. I don't think you're a bad person. I just think, you know, people are in different places in their lives. If you're in a place right now where like you are really focused on your own beliefs and your own practice, then, you know, stick with that. I think people should be honest with themselves about what kind of time they have. I mean, investigate. If you really want to join a coven, you know, investigate and see what their time requirements are and and then be honest with yourself about whether or not, you know, you can make that work for yourself. Well, that's a really good lead into the next thing that I'd like to talk about, actually, um, is about time. As coven leaders, how much time does your coven take up and how much time can initiates or would-be initiates expect to have to commit? I think that's, it depends on whether we're talking about the high priest and high priestess or the coven members because I spend much more time than the initiates and it's because I'm putting the organizational efforts into all the rest of it. When are we going to meet? Making sure all the logistics are done, etc. And so I put more time into it, but that is okay. I, I have accepted that personally as part of my burden to repay the priests and priestesses who came before me and did the same for me. I am paying them back. Very nice. But for the individual coven members, a ritual at least one night a month, maybe twice. Depends on if we're going to do both a, a Sabbath and an Esbat. And one to two classes on some initiate level training for at least an hour each at some point during the the month that's that's for me i know there are covens that do it way more and i know there's some who do it way less that's that's us yeah when i first joined my coven we we met every week and we've since my mother coven obviously and that mother coven has since split into a coven and a magical order. So they still meet every week. It's just, what work are you doing? Um, that's a huge time commitment. My high priestess who I trained under talks about how sad it is because back in her day, they would meet two or even sometimes three days a week because everybody lived in walking distance to the Covenstead and they would meet every Thursday and on the moons and Saturdays for Sabbath. And I was like, who had time for that? And she said, there was no internet. And I said, oh, because 
then everybody had a lot more time. So no, like I expect, I, I ask my students for twice a month. We meet twice a month, uh, at least once a month in person. Now in the brave new world of Zoom, the second time might be in person or can be over Zoom if we're just planning on doing classes outside of coven time. So that would be about four hours a month, say. Um, Sabbaths, you know, we linger because we celebrate. So maybe six hours a month or whatever of like literal time with me. Uh, outside of coven time, the farther you get in your training, the more expectations there are on your time. So there may be some small quote unquote homework assignments, but those are really about develop development, self-development. So like right now, my students are working on building a personal practice. So I anticipate that they're spending a little time every day working on quote unquote coven stuff, but it's really them stuff because it's about, you know, they're building the foundation of their practice, you know, and as, yeah, as a coven leader, it like not only just my time, but like my brain is consumed, you know, with coven stuff too. But, but, you know, it, one wants to be reasonable. Like I want to be reasonable. If my with my students because we're all busy i think at the end of the day it is night but at the end of the day um a coven takes up a lot of work whether you're a coven leader or or an initiate of a coven you know if you're an initiate of a coven like let's let's think of practicalities you know it's time taken to get there then you're doing the work then it's time getting home i also actually as an aside i really want to know why there's so much salt after James's rituals on his floor. I mean, I would be willing to help clean up as well, but I just want to know why there's so much salt. I've been I, waiting I, to ask that from question. from all the chips. I, 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 I will tell you. So you know how they talk about witches used to do witchcraft and salt circles? I put one down. Oh, oh I like oh, that. That is a lot of salt. So I, there's a particular way of drawing one and I don't think I can explain how to do it so that your circle comes out symmetrical. Um, we use those for most rituals, uh, initiation elevations, eyes and knees. Uh, we do not. I have a, a ritual mat that is made in the style of uh, the grimoire drawing spirits into crystals. That influenced a lot of Alex's work, and it goes down instead. And large, very large, like three to four foot tall brass can holders in the quarters. So that's kind of our aesthetic that you get. Also, lots of polishing. And that's and that's a lot of time. You know, like all the all the getting ready, the polishing, setting up that the salt circle. It takes a lot of time, and when you're at home. And you're doing your own personal practice that takes up time you know I, I i forget i think it was thorn mooney that put a quote no no i lie i think it was mara stalin um who has a book out coming coming out in january on on welsh witchcraft um just to just to plug there I'll, I'll put it in the show notes if anybody's interested she put a quote up i think it was on facebook that that said even if you're a naturally gifted witch you still need to learn you still need to read to hone those skills just because you're naturally talented doesn't mean you shouldn't be honing those skills. And in that honing, there's also time. So I think whichever way we look at it, being in a coven, it does take up time. And I think that's something that would be initiates need to sit down and really think, do I have enough time? You know, it's lovely to have the fantasy about joining the coven and being in the coven and meeting at once or twice a month. But actually, can I actually commit to that? 
That's the real question. So there are a few sort of frequently asked questions that people have about covens, and I was hoping we could cover a few of them here, um, sort of those, but what about kind of questions? So what about, and this is one thing that I know that we're planning another episode on eventually, but what about things like skyclad? And by skyclad, I mean practising witchcraft naked. How do you broach that with potential initiates? And are people expected to just get their kid off as soon as they turn up at your house? Like, how does this work? I, th- I think the first thing I kind of broach on that is you're not naked, you're skyclad. There's there's a difference. There's a difference. Uh, um, and then there's a whole host of other things. It's not about sex. No one has time to worry about what you look like. No one's got time to worry about looking at you. We're in the throes of ecstatic experience of the divine. And for some of the younger, newer initiates trying to remember what line, what to say next, no one's no one's got all that. From the larger perspective, it's uh, transgressive. It's it's freeing. It's ego releasing. There's so there's a lot, and we could definitely have a long, long talk and a separate episode about it. Yeah, I think separate episode. I do want to refer people to Ashley's Seeking Witchcraft podcast because she speaks very nicely about her personal experience and her fears about going skyclad, and still, you know, she ended up initiating. So I think uh, that's just a nice personal story to reference people to. So what about things like cults? People are very funny about the idea of cults. And I know James has many opinions on this. I I do. I wrote my capstone on why people join cults. The word cult is loaded in Western understanding and modern mindsets because they think that the word cult means brainwashing a group of individuals tells you what to do and you may commit suicide. That is not the definition of a cult. A cult is a new religious movement. And that's why in religious studies circles, they have changed the wording they use because the previous understanding. With that said, there are new religious movements who are most certainly to be avoided that's why you have the suicide cults who have historically died that started the cult scares. But using the religious studies definition, yes, we are a cult, but we are not that kind of cult. We are simply a new religious movement that is in the phase of moving out of the initial foundation, early generation is aging or has already passed and we are at that phase where we are going to move from new religious movement to just religious movement until you are bam religion no no movement involved it's just funny because especially like i tend to be sort of a a a loosey-goosey sort of a person i'm i'm not super autocratic in terms of how i run things so um the idea of like wicca being a cult um, I'm having like an Eddie Izzard quote of like, you must have tea and cake with the vicar or death. Like, no, the Church of England isn't like that. <laughs> it's very like, oh, hello. You know, and uh, I, I feel like that way about like Wicca, like you must have like what cakes and wine or like, no, I mean, come or don't. It's up to you. 
There are some really interesting definitions of cults and cults versus sect. Um, I'm going to share one of them in the show notes by an Australian author called Lily Wilkinson who wrote a a novel for young adults about a a young girl who joined into a cult, but she did a lot of research into cults. Super interesting, the differences in the definitions that she makes. Another thing that comes up a lot for me, and I'm sure for you guys as well, is the idea of distance. So there's not always a coven in your backyard. There's not always a coven down the street. How do we feel about distance uh, and people a long way away who are seeking? One thing I really want to encourage people in and this is something that we've all mentioned at one time or another, is do not be married to a specific tradition because we tend to congregate in certain areas. In Kentucky, in the U.S., there are a lot of Gardnerians. Um, And I had a seeker reach out to me from either Kentucky or Tennessee, wherever he was, he was very close um, to where I happen to know all the Gardnerians are hanging. He's like, I'm really interested in Alexandrian Wicca. I was like, that's great. You are super close to a lot of Gardnerians. If you can't find an Alexandrian coven near you, like, please, I encourage you to branch out and investigate. Somebody else reached out to me, like from the Western US. I happen to know like there are a couple, uh, like Kingstone. I don't, there may not be any Alexandrians or Gardnerians super close, but there are BTW like groups. I encourage them to like, you know, scope out some of these other groups. So don't, marry yourself so tightly to one tradition if it's outside your means to get to those places if there's a group that you feel comfortable with near you that's fine that's okay i'm going to jump on that and 100 percent agree with you tradition second coven first all day every day as for what distance i think our coven's willing to accept can you get here and learn the craft and participate? And if we're solidly convinced you can and you proved you have, if you're flying from wherever, cool. But I know across the southern United States, if there is a coven in your state, consider them close by. There are not a lot. That I'm aware of, there are only two or three in Louisiana, period. There may not be any in your state at all expect to have to travel and as much as that sucks it's the reality and have those conversations because there may be a coven who's like oh you only need to come twice a year and we're cool with that but every coven's different you need to have the conversation and be open what can you do what can you not do talk about it i love these conversations that we have about distance because distance in the uk and in wales is completely different to distance in like the US or, or or like Australia or anywhere. Like for us, driving an hour, that's that's a long, that's a long time. But you guys in the US are like, oh yeah, I took I took three international connecting flights. And I'm like, what? Like, no, that's that's too that's too much. But I drive I, over an hour to get to work every day. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, well, this is it. Like for, for us, I think in the UK. Um, and again, I can't speak for everybody, but when I think about in terms of distance, like as long as you can get here, if you can get here and and you're in, then then yeah, that's great. You know, I think I think the biggest question is can you get here? You know, and, and that links back to to time. 
doesn't it? Like, if you don't drive, it can be extremely difficult to get around, well, to get around Wales in, in particular, you know, especially with the valleys. You might need to catch multiple trains, which I know doesn't sound like, like, like a big deal to, like, Americans and everybody else, but, but it is. If we finish a ritual late, like, let's say it's, it's 10, 11 o'clock at night, like, the last train for you to get home might have been half past 10 and you've just missed it. And yes, there's always the option of staying over, but these are all things to factor in. Yeah, it's, it is a big issue. I mean, it's, it's wealth too, right? It's money. And I think, I think that's why occasionally people put the elitist label on British traditional Wicca, because we don't have a way of making Wicca more accessible to people who don't have the means to travel to find a coven. There are people who are trying to do that work, who started doing some of that work during the pandemic in terms of like some online classes or whatever. But at the end of the day, you have to, this is a practical, experiential religion. And, and it's unfortunate, you know, hopefully as we grow, as we spread, you know, if, if people with the means to travel do travel and then get training and then, you know, stay in their home state and start their own covens there, then then we spread and, and it becomes more of an option, you know, but in the meantime, you know, people again should find something local that works for them. Or, you know, if you have the means and are, are willing to travel, you know, find a group that can work with you on something that's like within your abilities or within your means to, to like for frequency to travel there. That, that was not an uncommon thing. Like back in the day, echoes back in the day, you know, people would come over from, from different countries to the UK to get trained in from, Alexandrians, Guardians, whoever, and then they would take it back. You know, like I know, I know the Bucklands did, did that quite often. You know, it's not unheard of for people to go somewhere, get trained, take it back, and then establish covens in their area. I know, I know, Josie, you can talk a little bit more about this than than I can. Yeah, for sure. That's that's what happened in Australia. That's that's how Alexandrian craft got to Australia. Was somebody went yeah. over, was trained and initiated, and, and brought the material back. In Australia, which is a very large biscuit floating at the bottom of the world, we have not many covens and not in every state. So it it goes back to what you said about choosing the coven, not the tradition, first and foremost, but also like you do need to be willing to travel. People in my line have worked really hard to make our craft more accessible to people interstate. And yeah, there are things you can do over Zoom, but if you live in a state without a coven and you want initiation, you're going to need to be willing to travel at least once or twice a year. I think it's a bare minimum as well. Absolute minimum, yeah. The last thing that I, I've kind of got down as a frequently asked question is this whole idea of outer court and inner court. Um, not all covens do that, but could we maybe talk about what we do as coven leaders? with those situations. Now, by outer court and inner court, I mean inner court is usually initiates. It's a more private and closed group. Outer court is a more open group that contains non-initiates and people working towards initiation. This is my definition. Feel free to offer others. So we have no formal outer court. Uh, My first coven did. My second coven did not. Uh, We do have an inner court, but there's no formal outer court. Does it mean that we won't meet with non-initiates and get to know them and things like that? But there's no outer court rituals or things like that that a lot of groups have developed. 
I don't know how to explain that. Seeking with us is a lot like getting to know us in more of, as she said, online dating. It's a courtship. Get to know us. We'll have those conversations. The things that you need to know before you're a member of the coven, we are going to check those off. But there's no formal outer court. So we in the coven have recently um, implemented an outer court system. Um, and when I say recently, it's only been in the last, I don't know, six months, maybe. Maybe even a little bit less than that. And we've implemented it so that we can kind of train people in what would be the basics. So when they're thrown in at the deep end, they already have some understanding of where they're going and, and how the coven practices. But it's also a time of exploring with each other and getting to know, you know, us getting to know them and them getting to know us, seeing if if we're on the same wavelength, seeing if we're on the same page. But yeah, it's, you know, the outer court system is is something new to us at the moment. And we're just, you know, we're also finding our feet in the system as well. But yeah, we've recently implemented one just so we've got that buffer time between hi, hello, how are you? And yes, I want initiation. Here it is. We have that time in between to get to know each other. Yep. So we have an outer court um, in name only, basically, at this point. I guess it would be nice to get to a point where my coven was so large that I had so many initiates and so many people seeking um, that it would behoove me to keep them separate. But it has been the practice in my upline that people, uh, as we were bringing them into the fold as uh, seekers and dedicants, they were at most coven meetings and we just did outer court work until they were initiated or maybe like they would miss a few, like you would set up a few meetings that were just for initiates so we could do initiate work. But like by and large, there is an outer court period and we call it that so people understand that this is a period of training beforehand, but we don't really separate our outer court from our inner court in my in my line. Same with me. We don't really have a formal outer court structure I run an eclectic witchcraft teaching group and certainly people have come to it to us from there but it's not that group's not set up to to prepare people for British traditional wicca all right I'd really like to talk briefly about reaching out to covens now we talked about this in our previous episode if you haven't listened to that that's a really good place to go I don't think we'll be going over things so as coven leaders we don't tend to go around recruiting people we may advertise, but we, we certainly don't go out of our way to kind of sign people up. People need to reach out to us. I was hoping we could have a very quick conversation about why that is. For me, it goes back to what I said earlier. Covens are an intimate space. They're an energetic space. Uh, as a coven leader, it takes time and energy for me to shape and run the coven. And I think that I don't want to be drafting people who don't want to be working with me and who aren't interested in doing what we're doing or who are unsure. I think that having the seeker actually do the seeking demonstrates an interest in the tradition and demonstrates a willingness to do the work and helps to ensure that by the time people find covens, they know what they want and they're willing to put in the work to get it. For me, one of the biggest points is, you know, you're a seeker, you're called a seeker for a reason. It is a seeker that does the seeking. We might have I know we've mentioned the Facebook groups and the Discord as well. You know, Kevin's right within those groups. Yeah, you know, we're here. But but that's 
generally where it stops. You are the seeker. You do the seeking. We are not a religion that proselytizes. There's nothing to save you from. There's no mandate in my religious creed to track people down. And so if you are a seeker and you are waiting on a coven or initiate to ask you or invite you, we're not going to. Please understand that. If you don't speak up and express the desire to start working with us, we're not going to initiate the conversation. We leave that to you. That's part of the burden of you need to knock on the door if you want it to open. That's the thing. Nothing's sort of given freely. You need to ask and you need to explicitly ask to not sort of dance around and, and talk in hypotheticals either. If you if you want something from us, you need to ask us and you need to ask us explicitly. We have talked about so much today. So we've talked about everything and anything related to covens. We've talked about the why and the why not of covens. We've defined covens um, and how to find them and all sorts of things like that. I, I know I've gotten a few more ideas for some extra episodes later on out of this. So stay tuned. So thank you so much for listening and make sure you see our episode notes for contact info and we're going to put all of the many references that we discussed in there as well. Um, if you've got any questions or queries or thoughts, do get in touch. We'd really like to hear from you. And from all of us here at Circle Talk, Merry Meet, Merry Part and Merry Meet again. <laughs>